Well, there you go. What an introduction. That was a big launch. How are you guys, Greg Oliar and Lincoln's Bible? Welcome to the Friday edition of Narrative. How are you guys doing? I'm better after watching that movie. You liked it, eh? It was all for you. I used the word prevail. prevail in there. I noticed that. I I did. By the way, so did Joe Biden. About three times in his speech, he used the word prevail. And I was like, hmm. Someone got that into the zeitgeist, and I and I blame I think, you yeah, and credit you, whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. Amanda um, Gorman did too. Yeah, she did, right? Oh, she was amazing, right? She was spectacular. I haven't that spoken to you guys since that all happened. Tell me your, what you thought. Obviously, it was it was such a relief and a joy. Um, I had been really nervous about it. I, I really thought with all the the Q Proud Boy insurrectionist stuff. I, I was concerned. I thought maybe he should just, you know, call the whole thing off, just do the, you know, get sworn in and go right to work or whatever. And I'm glad that he didn't, you know, this is why Joe Biden is the president and I am not because he made the right call. Um, I think it was great to watch. It was great to watch the former presidents there. Michelle Obama looked like she had was going to like fly off into the Marvel comics universe and start <laughs> actually gets. kicking ass. Um, it, it was a, it, it was great from a, from a sense of unity. And I try to watch these things like with the, with the idea of, okay, what would somebody who doesn't, you know, follow this stuff or isn't really paying attention? What would they think? And I, I don't know what in that speech would be bad. I mean, I know Sean Hannity found stuff, but like, it was just a great, great speech, I thought. It was simple, and I loved that he talked about truth and how important truth is and telling the truth from lies and how it's our responsibility to do that because I really think that was that's what Donald Trump gave us. That was really ultimately his legacy is he waged a, a four-year war on reality and reality lost, and now not only do we have to reassemble the mess he made, we have to reassemble the reality that he broke apart and that is the biggest challenge you know the coronavirus stuff is awful obviously there's a, a death toll on par with the second world war i have confidence that joe and that team are going to do everything they can do move heaven and earth to get that going as soon as they can and 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 everything that's happened in the last two days has has borne that out but the war on truth man i think you're right I mean, that's that, that's something that's going to take a while and uh but I was not, I was not like giddy. I was not joyous. I was mostly relieved and, and sad. I think I was sad a little bit because I, I realized in that moment, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time the last four years on Twitter, um, presenting a hopeful optimism. That's sort of my brand, but you know, I'm terrified. I was terrified like everybody else. But I look were, back down, I'm like, we, we believed we you, Greg. So close. <laughs> We came so close to not winning this thing. Yeah. And if we had lost, everything would have been lost. And I don't think people really realize, not not our audience, I mean, people at large, I think they don't really yeah. realize what the stakes were. Oh, and, you're so right. You're so right. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the reasons I made that movie. Just, I don't know if people realize how close we were. And it really did take the citizens of this country to to move this. I mean, it would not have happened without the actions of so many people on, on social media, in the media in general, people who encouraged the voting, the voting organizing, all that stuff was important to get us to where we are today. And it really yeah. was the citizens who sort of got rid of this, uh, you know, fascist enemy that was coming upon us. So, and I don't think people realize it was that. They just think it was sort of a regular flow of, of business of politics but it really yeah. was much bigger than that and uh, a remarkable story about american democracy lb what do you think oh well i echo all of that and i had the same 
um, experience. And actually today, I was just saying to Zev before we came live, was it was kind of a, not a great, it just wasn't a great day. <laughs> not because anything bad happened, it just mood wise, um, I think for all of us that were sort of, you know, trying to pump the truth and facts and hope into a four year war mm -hmm. against those three things specifically, um, it, 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 it's, uh, I think we're, I'm tired. I need a vacation. Yeah, we all um, do. But you're, what you're saying is yeah, so important. And, for, for four what years. So important. And, yeah, we hung on to it all. And that's the, the job we took upon ourselves as citizens as well. So there was this incredible thing that happened with the election and with uh, everyone, you know, showing up for that despite the post office, you know, and the and the you know the information terror ops right and the and an entire political po party willing to just crime and then go for supporting an insurrection right um it just we you know for four years before all that there were so many of us especially this crew and especially our audience and our followers my god yeah right yeah. who were retweeting and and giving us information and connecting and, and elevating our voices they did it right Absolutely. they rose up and they they did that they engaged the conversation no one wanted to be on twitter who wanted to be on Twitter? Yuck. Mm. But that's where Donald was. That's where the lies were. That was the front line of the warfare, right, was mm. happening there. So gross. We were all gro had to get on that gross thing that scrambled our brains along with everyone else as we were trying to fight this. I'm just not a big fan. <laughs> but I'm in there. And, you know, and we'll keep going. Uh, in terms of the inauguration, I agree, Greg, so much with that speech um, because it was it wasn't reaching for soaring oration and phrases that would, um, you know, sort of uh, pivot in history or anything. It was just this guy, this man, just spoke to us, and uh, it was so healing to hear that and have that focus and to know that he he cares and he's clear. He's clear about it all. He knows what's ahead of us. He knows what we can do. He believes in us, in all of us, in ways that we don't necessarily believe in one another anymore because we've had these breaks in our families and breaks in our in our communities. That, that monstrosity that, that came before made sure there were these rifts um, and this division. So I, I just... All of that came across for me. And then the whole thing in Amanda, oh my God, right? The whole, like, Greg and I were texting each other during that poem, going, holy, because we're both poets, right? So that was, that was a masterclass in poetry right there. I, I, I never, I never heard anything like that. Yeah. Um, and so all that. And then I, I got to say this, and I know this has been said a lot. I really loved, I, I, who wants these stupid balls? I don't want these stupid, I've been to those balls, not an inauguration ball, but all that high society crap. Yeah. It's gross. It's not accessible. I'm so glad that was gone. I loved it. I loved the, that it was so intimate to be in the inauguration celebration instead of just watching these fancy people dance. Uh, who cares? 
right? I wanted the music. Yeah. It was a party and we were invited to the party. It was a party for us, finally. So uh, I love that. I don't want to ever go. I think that should be the way it is. I thought this forever. picture of, of them arriving at the White House after walking down Pennsylvania Avenue, they just looked so yeah. good and so comfortable. The family was there with them. Uh, and there they were, you know, just, just there's not too much pomp and ceremony around them. It almost looks like, the, you know, you kind of see any Marines around them, which would be typical around those kinds of shots. Instead, you've got sort of a, almost like a 10th Downing Place uh, shot, where it's just like a, an ordinary couple moving into a home. And they look so in love and so good. Uh, I thought that was a beautiful way to end it. And that walk down Pennsylvania Avenue, just just really well done. The whole thing, very well produced. Um, we've got a yeah. special guest tonight, by the way. And he's oh, here. I'm excited. Oh. I'm excited for Hello, yeah. Stuttering John. Hey. How are you? How's it going? Good. How you doing? Hey. We're good. We're good. We're all just talking about the, the inauguration and our thinking about it, our thoughts. What did you think as you were taking it in? I loved it. And like Greg once said on my show, it's the adults are back in the house. And, you know, and that is the most, that's the greatest quote because like I just had somebody, I, you know, I just did my beer on the balcony today and somebody said, did you see what Joe Biden tweeted today? And I said, no. And he goes, yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> but does this worry you a little bit that we might not have something to talk about now? Like, what are we going to do? We're going to have like, you know, we sort of have used our time quite well fighting Trump. But then what do you do with the Biden administration if everything is going to be running so flawlessly? But I'll, oh, say, just, <laughs> I'll say just one thing, because I had the great, I'm sure we all know and love him, Glenn Kirshner on my show yesterday yeah. and we were talking about charles flynn I, I, i'm sure you guys know this story that you know that that people in the capital were asking uh you know asking the national guard for help and charles flynn was privy to that conversation and denied it mm -hmm. denied them help on january 6th yeah yeah on january 6th this as Glenn said, this is this is criminal, mm -hmm. and all the people involved. It's that I mean, this is an insurrection, and the only thing that I hope is that they're all held accountable, every single damn one of them, from Josh Hawley yeah. to Ted Cruz to Donald Trump to Rudy and to Don Jr. They should all be held accountable. You are one hundred percent because that that really stuck with me. This Charles Flynn story. I'll put up. A little slide for us to take a look at here but you know so he is the brother of mike flynn now he got a he got a testy because he, he said today in the washington post that any suggestion that his brother's relationship would somehow influence his actions he categorically denies and he says i take it as a bit of questioning of my integrity so those are my uh -huh. thoughts on that and in fact that's exactly what we're questioning that's exactly what i'm decent questioning is why is charles flynn at a meeting about his brother's uh, you know, insurrectional coup, whatever he's doing. And he's in a meeting about how to handle that. And that to me is already a conflict of interest. But then he goes on to not even denounce what his brother's thinking is. Like he doesn't have any criticism to say about Mike Flynn's uh, QAnon affiliations or his white supremacy affiliations. He doesn't say anything bad about that. He just sort of, you know, he skirts that whole issue. And then the third thing is he leaves the meeting early why did he leave the meeting early? Like, did he go have a call to make to someone to say, hey, the National Guard is coming in? Because that was his impression leaving the meeting was the National Guard are going to be sent in. 
So why did he leave the meeting so early? Like, did, was it so necessary to leave early? And who, what did he do? Did he call somebody right away? Was it Mike Flynn? Did he have any contact with Mike Flynn? I mean, those kind of questions well, we'll are- we'll find out. Well, I hope we so. We will find out. And he, why did they lie about it? Look, he can be as indignant as he wants to be. Yeah. His brother is a traitor. His brother is a liar. His brother is a is an insurrectionist. His brother is a has been running a uh, a military grade psyop on the American people. Much of it incredibly illegal. Um, so he his brother is a disgrace. He was and convicted. His, his or about nephew, to be convicted. His brothers, he was convicted. His brother's son, also his nephew, a disgrace for what he did in the 2016 campaign and how involved he was with all of the information terrorists that helped to inspire the insurrection. His, his, his nephew knows Ali Alexander. So spare me your indignancy, right? Yeah. And, and the one thing that came out on that, you know, what we're about to learn whether, you know, families have paid foreign agents, which Mike Flynn was and didn't disclose it for two countries, that families have paid foreign agents, otherwise sometimes known as spies, mm -hmm. um, especially when they don't disclose, when they don't register. And Mike uh, Flynn was a spy for Turkey and for Russia. Absolutely, absolutely. And he, and he tried to uh, abduct a cleric, a, a, a US resident, and kidnap him and bring him over. Uh, to serve up to Erdogan for Erdogan's own version of bone saw justice, I guess. Who fucking knows? That's the Mike Flynn. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, his. It, we're going to find out whether those families are like mafia families, right? That's what we're about to find out. And in many cases, I suspect there's quite a lot of overlap in that blood oath and that blood loyalty between those two groups. Number two. His, he was told by the head of the Capitol Police when they were calling, begging for help. This is the reporting. They are in this, it's, uh, they're here, they're rioters. We need help, we need reinforcements, we are overwhelmed. This is while the Capitol Police officers are lying on the ground, bleeding to death, dead. Yes. Okay? They called him and that motherfucker, what did he say? He said, they're peaceful protesters. That was his on the record response in that moment when a when the head of the Capitol Police is calling for help, he's objecting to it. How did he know that? Why is he believing that he knows more about what these people are in the moment, in the midst of a, a violent riot and insurrection and invasion of our Capitol than the actual law enforcement, head of law enforcement on the ground? Why isn't he listening to the head of the Capitol Police? Why is he objecting saying, no, those are peaceful protesters, and to which the head of the Capitol Police, I believe that's who it was, said back yeah. to him, right. uh, it, they're not anymore. <laughs> not so they're anymore, not anymore, baby. and they are violent so, right now, and he refused to They're violent anyone. right now. So, so I, I don't want to hear it from this man, because clearly he knew what he had some preconception of what this was all going to be and knew that those people were heading to the Capitol and were going to be doing their quote unquote protests at the Capitol, which, of course, turned into a violent riot because they've all been their brains have all been scrambled. And inside of there are all these proud boys and all of these, uh, you know, active measures, violent fuckers right in there to uh, that actually were insurrectionists and actually ready to execute their plan going was to be hallways, violent calling out for pets. Yeah. their plan was to be violent so why is he carrying the propaganda in that moment and yeah. why did he even know that the concern in the room was that he, they didn't want the bad optics of the National Guard facing off against these armed insurrectionists that's not bad optics that's your job 
That's not something you can think is bad op- uh, bad optics. It's yeah. insane that we've been in this situation. I want to say something that uh, you know, just to put it very bluntly, we are still in a national security crisis because yeah. if those yeah. guys are still in there running the military with all their, you know, one in five of the protesters at the Capitol riots or call them what you would the siege, one in five is a veteran or a military member, current serving military member. That's twenty percent of that crowd. There's a lot of people inside the military that are sympathetic to that group of people. And now you, there's potentially an armed, you know, a command structure that is also maybe influenced by the Mike Flynn uh, insurrection plans and, and, you know, who knows who else. This makes me feel like we're in a national security crisis and still there. You know, we're still as urgently in that crisis as we were before because there's nothing stopping them from trying again, especially if they've still already built the structures that they've even tried once. Well, the, the good news is yeah, that well, we have, you know, somebody in charge who's going to do something about it. My question is, how yeah. many siblings does this asshole have? It was a, his sister was singing the national anthem or God bless America and his brother with this thing. And yeah. these are not good looking people. Let's, 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 is there only three or are there more? Like, how many are we going to, are we going to read about another Flynn sibling doing something fucking awful like a week from now? As many as he has lawyers. Run a report on this? Because I don't, I, I, I don't like it. And I was going to say before, he left that meeting early in exactly the same way that Jared Kushner left the meeting early with the, uh, the adoptions meeting early. I remember that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maria Bettina was back in the news yep. a little bit this week. We're going to learn. Um, did you see that? Oh, I even, oh my God, I called, I didn't see that, but I called her out. I'm like, bring Maria Bettina back. That was more fun. The reason she's in the news is because she, uh, Paul Erickson was the operator that they started a company together and they were funneling funds out of, uh, the NRA to Russia and back. Well, he is one of the two people of the new two people that, uh, Trump pardoned on the way out the door. The other one is Elliot Brody. These two people are serious criminals, serious criminals, and were involved in taking foreign money and funneling into the Trump uh, campaign, either through the NRA or through Qatar or whomever other uh, was trying to buy their influence in the in the inauguration. These guys are not the kind of people that Donald Trump should be allowed to um, in any way pardon because he's a co-conspirator with them. Do you guys have any sense, I know we spoke a little bit about this to, to Glenn as well in our show a few days ago, but do you have any sense of how he thinks he's going to get away with having these guys pardoned. I want John, I want to hear what John has to say about these parts. Yeah, yeah. If I want to talk without being interrupted, I'll go on John's show. John, talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think everyone should be held accountable. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I know I'm not talking about the pardons, but I, I was, I'm still on the Lauren Boebert thing. Yeah. And and I'm just I can't even let that go right now because she was literally telling the insurrectionists where the speaker of the house was. And she what was? I cannot understand, Zev, Greg, and LB, I cannot understand how she could still be in Congress being, you know, aiding and abetting the insurrectionists, and no one's talking about that. Why? What is going on? It is kind of crazy. Well, I mean, I guess she's going to get called as, as a witness at the impeachment trial, yeah. I would think. Right? Probably. I want the head of the FBI, now that Joe Biden's in there, get Chris Ray in front of some kind of uh, Senate committee, House committee, and let's start asking. We need a, 
a briefing by this guy because we still haven't even had that of what, you know, he just sort of did a conference and said some stuff amongst other people, but not a full on, you know, briefing and tell us, tell us where the investigation is. Tell us what you know about these, about the planning, about the operations, the coordination, the communications. Um, what, who, who was it from? Oath Keepers, three percenters. Were there the base which is the most violent and deadly, uh, one of them, uh, ex white uh, extremist domestic terrorist groups that we have, literally Al-Qaeda translated as uh, in English as the base, um, uh, and Proud Boys of these, uh, those sort of, those big ones, um, why I, were some of, who was there and present of that? What about the leaders that they were able to give sort of a tap tap on the shoulder? And, and we do have that reporting and told them, you know, the FBI was like, we know what you're planning, do not come, right? And so if the FBI knew what was being planned and actually warned the leadership, the most dangerous folks out there not to come or they'd be immediately arrested, was the president also briefed on this? Was, you know, General Flynn's brother also briefed on this. What you know that uh, where that what was the FBI doing in terms of briefing the administration? Not that the administration wasn't aware of everybody coming, because again, as I keep saying, the conspiracies and the white supremacy and the terrorism was coming from inside the House, from the administration out. It wasn't just something happening out there that he was capitalizing on. He was, our former president was at the heart of all of this is with his son, with Giuliani, with Mike Flynn, with Eric Prince, with, you know, this Roger Stone and Steve Bannon. That this is what these guys, these motherfuckers have been up to this whole time. Excuse my French. So I want to know what did the FBI know before this thing happened? And did they inform so that we can, we can know that they were actually briefed and we can't make, you know, the administration or any of these people brought in, the former administration, brought in front, and especially for the trials coming up, can claim, oh, we didn't know. We didn't know how bad. We thought it was just peaceful. Bro. You know, they were just going to be, it was going to be Brooks Brother, Brooks Brother Riot 2.0. You know, I, I want to know. What were they told? Ahead, Why can't John. we get that? Why can't we get this information? Good point. But the other thing that I wanted, I, I don't know if you saw it today, Alexandria Ocasio, wait, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez said that she even she doesn't know if she could like she fears who's in her own you know yeah. Congress yeah. right now. I mean, I mean, that's insane that our These Republicans own... keep going in with guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, could you imagine not like going to work and and being afraid to work with your colleagues who are supposed to be representing the American people in a democracy? Yeah. Some of them are clearly some Nazi ass people there. That that Madison Cawthorn guy is basically Doctor Strangelove as yeah. a as a young man, right? He, he's a Nazi. <laughs> and uh, oh, I made that up. And perfect, yes. right? Yeah. Genius. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh so, my like, god. And he's, he's a fraud, and he's these guys are packing heat. <laughs> Andy Harris of Maryland brought a gun into the into the things and it's like uh, what are you doing you do not need to have firearms there you, you don't need it i mean it's ridiculous well they're that, doing that, their swagger right this is their uh, swagger this will be their content this is for the what they oh, think you're gonna jump out of an airplane and be like i'm a pirate yeah they're like uh, you know and they're like oh we're gonna upset the libs we're gonna set them off because we have a right to carry our arms and they're trying they're doing this they're, they're running their political op in the middle of you know this sort of uh, also a, a, a real event because they're still not 
processing or they don't want to be part of the processing of how real this thing is. You know, these guys still think and women think they can do fantasy role play with this all this whole thing. It's just a big cosplay. Um, and that they're that you know, that will somehow continue to work. Let me tell you, it's gonna fall apart. It's gonna fall apart on them in a big way. There was money behind that insurrection, real money, it's being tracked down. It's gonna be bad. This goes back to what John was saying about us not taking it seriously. I mean, there's sort of a sense that this was sort of either like role play or something, but it wasn't an actual insurrection attempt. And it, it was. I mean, we can't keep like, you know, people in the media aren't even recalling it, calling it a siege or an insurrection now. It's a, it's a capital riots. Um, you know, there's very yeah, little. There's very little investigation being done between, to the point you were making, LB, about, you know, uh, and John, about why are the, why are these senators in there trying to delay the vote by finding all these mechanisms to delay the vote? They were doing yeah. it in order to allow these insurrectionists time to do their business out there, to kill more people That's and maybe right. find Mike Pence and maybe find, um, you know, um, Speaker Pelosi and put them into some sort of compromising position. It's a very serious event. I don't think there's been anything like this in American history. And Never. everyone sort of, sort of, Never. well, let's shrug our shoulders and move on. We can't no, do the that. Last time, the last time something happened so. like this was when so. Booth shot Lincoln, period. Yeah. Yeah. That was the last historical event that's even remotely like this. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I'm not exaggerating. That's what they were there to do. And John, to your point, uh, the LARPers, you know, the, the role-play, cosplay people that we made fun of, that's 85% of those people. They're just there for the whatever. But there were other people there that were there to do violence. You know, I think there's different, there's a different types of people that were involved in this event. Ex-military, ex-cops. Yes. I mean, I yep. mean yep. they had a plan. Yeah. They had a plan. Yep. yep. But the dorky, the guy all with the horns, people, and all this, the idiot people are there uh, as yeah, a distraction. I, yeah, yeah that's a distraction. All of these people have been radicalized, so all of them. Yes. Right. Yep. Uh, and so, and and what we're now seeing because uh, inside of the psychological torture machine that is QAnon, that's just in, in, intentional. That that's a weapon, by the way. Everyone needs to think of that as a weapon. It's a psyop. It's a propaganda. This is how dangerous propaganda is, John. You know, I've been on your show with you talking about how dangerous this shit is. Um, it, it's uh, it is a weapon of war, and this is what it looks like um, it, when it's you know matched with uh, the kinds of tools and architecture and structure that on that the online virtual world allows uh, to happen for people. Okay, so it, it's not. This isn't about fake news. This is about creating an alternate reality. Um, there are ways to do that that are, the gaming world knows very well that takes people into um, and if you put if you're putting propaganda in there um, rather than just a, playing a game um, but it's the same architecture you're taking people's minds into an area where they literally lose touch with reality altogether. It's very dangerous shit. It's a military grade <laughs> psyop was unleashed on people. That's what it is. Everyone needs to think of it that way. I do think it's psychological torture. So, um, so you have now because part of that prophecy cult, um, part of that torture machine that that psyop was that in a, on inauguration, you know, this big event was going to happen that didn't happen. Right, Joe Biden became president. Everything went. Reality happened. Right, whenever it crashes up against reality, um, you there is a huge swath now that is disenfranchised, 
upset. It was all bullshit. It was all LARPing. You know, they're seeing it. And in comes the other group that's been radicalized and has been behind a lot of radicalization themselves, the very violent extremist domestic terror groups, right? The violent extremist white supremacist militias that are loaded up with ex-vets and um, or vets, ex-military um, cops, all of that, right? Because those groups are heavily targeted. Oath Keepers specifically targets um, ex-military, right? And they get databases of, uh, you know, vets for Trump. They get all these databases full of veterans and they pump the propaganda, pump the propaganda and radicalize, radicalize, radicalize. Now you get in this sort of army is happening, okay? It's an insurgency, Absolutely. And as these QAnon folks, they're getting picked up and sweeped in by the extremists. It actually has a chance to become even more dangerous now if we don't figure out how to address this. And it all goes back to how you open the show, Zev, with this is about the war on truth. Mm-hmm. It, it's all connected back to that. Um, so why we have to hold everyone accountable, John, is so that the reality has its reckoning. <laughs> Reality and truth needs a reckoning mm-hmm. um, against the, uh, you know, against these lies um, because they're so dangerous. They were so carefully put together, so carefully orchestrated out of that former administration as to become a weapon in and of itself. It was supported by the Murdochs. It was supported by Bannon and Breitbart, by mainstream media machine, as well as an online media machine. It's all of that architecture is hooked into these databases with folks, and they're just pumping, pumping, pumping propaganda. Yeah. Well, then here's my question. got to bring an end to it. Go ahead, Judd. I'm sorry. I mean, here's my question, though, and this is the scariest part is are Republican senators going to hold Donald Trump accountable in this impeachment? Now, I mean, they have to. If they don't, then it, 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 that it literally is saying that it's okay to defy democracy. I mean, like, are they going to do it? Lindsey Graham's out there saying, oh, we should leave Donald Trump alone. Like, I don't understand that. This guy, you know, incited an insurrection. He should be held accountable. Rudy, Don Jr., Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, all should be held accountable. If they're not, then we are doing the wrong job, and these people should be out of office. For sure, because they'll be back with more. You know, John, I always get a sense that you, because of your Howard Stern history and, and whatnot, you you might have a better sense of what's going on in the middle of the country than you know us sitting here in the in the in the West Coast and the East Coast. But how do you convince you know Middle America, especially the ones that have come under this kind of influence? How do you convince them that they've been lied to? Look, Howard Stern right now is having the same problem because he is a firm. A uh, non-supporter of Trump, and he's lost a lot of his base because people, you know, can't because they're so in love with Trump. Don't oh, really? forget, this all started with uh, the Tea Party. If you can recall, when Obama got elected, Mitch McConnell said our main goal is to make sure he's a one-term president. The Tea Party was formed. They go to Washington with racist posters and everything else. Like, all this hate started, I mean, obviously it started a lot, a lot, a lot longer than that, but it's all seemed to be going in this direction. So me, no, I can't speak to these Confederate flag holders, Zev. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't understand 
Like, I don't understand any kind of racism, but this is what it is. I mean, all these guys are uh, the Confederate flag and everything else. I mean, uh, the uh, Camp Auschwitz. I so mean, you these think- people are all about hate and bigotry. Yeah, that's right. And racism. So even if they are convinced that you know QAnon was a lie, and even if they're convinced that Trump, Donald Trump didn't win the election, they'd still be in the same headspace, you're arguing? They'd still be they the same racist, confederate-loving people that they were? Zev, only, not, what was it, 19% of Republicans uh, think the election wasn't rigged. Only mm. 19%. Right. I mean, when it's been proven it's a billion lie. times over, I mean, right. how do you convince? It's like trying to convince a flat earther that the world is round. It's just like, I don't know if you can penetrate those brains if they even have one. Mm-hmm. Did you read the Anne Applebaum column today in The Atlantic? There was an interesting read where she spoke about how the only option to deal with these insurrectionist types or these white supremacists is by coexisting with them and trying to bring them alongside uh, and, you know, trying to like shame them or or in any way hurt them is actually going to be counterproductive. Uh, and she, she estimated, I think, that as many as 10 to 15% of the U.S. population are truly seditionist. Now, that does not sound like a large number, except it's 10 to 15% of the U.S. population. It's a lot of people. Um, and yeah. it's a you know, huge concern if you think that that many people are in that mindset. And she also did this really interesting thing where she sort of wandered around the world showing different examples of what other countries have done. Um, and she looked at uh, Ireland, Colombia, and Iraq. Those are all countries that have had sort of the same kind of secessionist movements or insurrection movements. Uh, in Ireland, they landed up building lots of community centers, uh, helping them uh, develop uh, job centers and helping the young people get together, not really confronting the main issue, but trying to build community. In Colombia, they actually pay them to return to normal life because there they sell a lot of drugs right. to make money for the FARC. But instead, they, they pay them to return to normal life um, just to keep them on this straight and narrow. And in Iraq, and this really didn't work, uh, is when they named and shamed all the, the Ba'athists. Um, uh, but this is sort of the, you know, this is the paradigm in the Atlantic, at least, or Anne Applebaum is looking at, at where we're heading. It's kind of so bizarre to think of that in the United States of America. Well, uh, I, you know, uh, go ahead, think about the QAnon. Yeah. Okay. I have a little bit of sympathy for the people that read the stuff. And, and, and I, th- there's, a, there's a misconception, I think, that the people that believe some of this stuff are dumb or stupid or, gull- or, or even gullible, right. right? Because it takes a certain amount of intelligence and, 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 and caring to even read Curiosity. in and try to figure it all out. Part of the problem, the the QAnon problem happens because the media sucks. That's one of the byproducts of our media sucking and being incapable of telling us what the fucking truth is. The reason we've said, we said this on Tuesday night, the reason that people are watching this show, the reason that people read my Twitter feed and LB's and yours is because the media has failed. Mm. And we have been able to figure out to some degree, with plenty of mistakes, what's better sourced, right? That's what we're trying to do here. So uh, in the absence of that, in the absence of being able to read a newspaper and, and just take it for granted that it's telling you the truth, people's minds say, okay, we know this is maybe not true, now what? And the QAnon story, part of it is believable. 
part of it is that there is a network of sex traffickers who are very wealthy uh, that we, we don't want you to know what's going on. That part is kind of, it's kind of true. Tracks, yeah, right? There's a lot of human, tra- yeah, the there's a human trafficking bullshit, network. The part that Donald Trump is somehow going to solve it. <laughs> right. That's insane. Right. That's where because, it breaks yeah. down for me. Right. Like, uh, oh, the guy that raped 50 women is the one who's going to save the women. Okay, sure. I mean, that's the reason they launched it, right? The kernel of it is there. And we're going to get to the Unger piece in in, in Vanity Fair. But this is a good segue to it. It is. Should we segue to it now? (laughs) Let's absolutely do. I want to say one thing on Anne to close that part out. And then I really want this segue. (laughs) Um, So Anne is... She really knows what she's talking about when it comes to um, how uh, you can have this sort of faction, an extremist faction in the body politic of a nation, break off and kind of gain power and gain, you know, it's that what John was saying with the Tea Party, what the difference is, yes, hate's always been there, racism's always been there, but that was the moment that a one party of a two-party political system literally looked at them and said, you're the future, <laughs> right? And embraced that. Right? And, and that's the, the Republican embrace of, of all of that is why we ended up where we ended up. So yep. the one thing I would add into Anne's piece, piece, which I didn't read and I want to read, but if it wasn't there, is that those three examples don't include the threat that we're also up against, which is hate is a very addictive thing. It is. Um, And people who get radicalized around hate, around supremacy specifically, it's very difficult for them to detach from that, Um, no matter what kind of community you give them. And in our nation, uh, there's the wealthiest set of the population. So it's not that they're not disenfranchised. They own shit, right? Mm. They run things. And then on top of that, they also have, we all have these very powerful radicalization tools that didn't exist in either one of those three examples um, that you put up on screen, those other nations. It's just a new time and a new era in terms of the fueling and the support, the foundation now underneath and the connective tissue for the radicalization around hate of the most protected privileged class of people in a nation. 